are joining us today for the first time, my name's Jay Duncan. My wife and I are senior pastors here at Antioch Church, and what a joy and what a privilege it is to serve and to lead in this house. We, uh, we love Antioch, and we love what the Lord is doing in this place. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to ask you to join me this morning, if you would. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And I'm not sure if uh, the announcement was given that today we are having an Antioch conversation. Today at one o'clock in Mod Q. So uh, this conversation is going to center around the tension between treasures old and new that uh, we are experiencing here in Antioch Church or have been some questions about how do we continue to be a prophetically oriented people while also uh, honoring certain aspects of the traditions of the faith and how do we walk that line? And uh, the, the answer to that's very, very simple. Uh, carefully, graciously, uh, following the Holy Spirit and listening to one another. And we'll expound on some of that uh, today in our Antioch conversation. Luke chapter 22, let's pray and let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get after it. Father, we love you today. We bless your name. We thank you that you are here. And you're not here because of anything that we've done. You are here because you are the omnipotent and the omnipresent God. You are the God who rules over the heavens and the earth. You are the God who is waiting for us to assemble and gather together in your name so that you could manifest your presence amongst us in a very unique way. And Father, we thank you that you are hosting us today. We come by way of your invitation, and we respond. And so we ask that the Holy Spirit of the living God, third person of the Trinity, would be active in our midst today. Father, we thank you for the pneuma dynamic component of the church, that part of being the church of God is that the Holy Spirit is alive and moving and active and dynamic in our midst. And so we pray that your spirit would continue to move even upon the preaching of the word. Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate and inspire these words to not just be the words of man, but that they would be the words of God, that they would move upon our hearts to heal and to guide and to nurture and correct and direct and instruct. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that you're awakening our spirits today, that you're equipping, equipping us, and that you're going to send us as your people into the earth to be the faithful presence of Christ to the world. And we say these things today in Jesus' name. Oh man, that was weak, y'all. That was a little bit better. I'm going to call y'all out. <laughs> All right, everybody give me a smile this morning. Give me a big smile. Thank you. Oh, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> Luke chapter 22. So if you're new with us this morning, we've been on a series called Faithful Presence. And last week we began the first of seven disciplines that the Lord has given to us through the word of God that help us as his people to encounter his presence to experience his presence in a very, very profound way, and then also to carry his presence to the world. And last week, we talked about the first of those disciplines, which is the discipline of the Lord's Supper or the Lord's 
table or communion or the Eucharist, whichever way you want to explain those, all of those are speaking to the same thing, the power of what God does around a table and specifically what he calls his table, the Lord's table that he hosts and he invites his people to not only remember what he has done throughout salvation history, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but what he is going to do when his kingdom is completed, when the fullness of his glory is consummated at his second coming, we're going to throw down. We're going to throw down. We're going to eat. We're going to feast. We're going to be in his presence, and it is going to be glorious. And so every time we come to his table, we are remembering what he has done. We are calling it into the present. We're not just, we're not just taking a memory trip. We're actually calling into activation. We're actually taking those things that he did on the cross and in the resurrection, and we're saying, Lord, bring that into the now. We want to live in the redemptive power of God now. I need an amen at that. We want to live in the resurrection power of God today. We don't want to just think about the fact that he was resurrected thousands of years ago. We want to live in the Romans 8, 11 reality that his spirit brings life to our normal man. It is by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that enables us and empowers us to live this Christian life and to live our faith and to live in his kingdom in the way that he has designed us to. Then not only that, we're looking to the future and we're saying, God, there is a day when you're going to make all things right. There is a day when sickness will no longer plague and affect and touch our bodies. There is a day when reconciliation will be the norm, where division will not reign, but men and women and sons and daughters will be reconciled together under the banner of Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to that day. We're looking forward to the fullness of God's kingdom. And every time we come to the table, we celebrate what he's done and we anticipate what is coming. And I don't know about you, Antioch Church, but that excites me. That invigorates me. That, put, that puts hope inside of my spirit for who he is and what he is about in the world today. I'm gonna do a very quick review of last week's message because I recognize I fire-hosed you guys last week. I mean, I just blasted you guys with, with a lot of stuff. So I'm gonna just bullet point some of those disciplines that happen at the Lord's table. And let me just see by way of hands, how many of you would say, who were here last week or who listened to the podcast, you would say, I never knew all of those things were happening at the table of the Lord. I was not aware of how profound God, uh, God's activity is around that discipline. How many guys would raise your hand? Thank you very much. Me too. And I think I shared with you some of my story that the discipline of the Lord's table was not something that I grew up with in my faith expression, in my church tradition, coming to the table of the Lord with that level of understanding and that level of faith was not something that I had experienced. 
And so I'm experiencing this word right here, awakening. I personally am experiencing awakening as it relates to things that God has hidden in the Christian tradition and faith that he is still using and speaking to and speaking through today. So a number of things happen when we come to the table of the Lord. Number one, we practice the discipline of being present. We practice the discipline of being present. And one of the things that we learned uh, this past Thursday at our life group leaders meeting. So I meet with our life group leaders every other week. So the week that they're not hosting life group leaders uh, or life group meetings, I'm having a meeting with those guys. And this past Thursday was outstanding. We pulled apart the Incarnation Missio Day message. We pulled apart last week's message. And if you're not involved in the life group, I want to say you ought to jump in and get involved because these leaders are fired up. And these leaders have such incredible insight into the things that we're talking about. I walk away invigorated. And I walk, walk away going, I didn't really see that even when I preached that. But one of the things that we discovered about a discipline is that a discipline is something that is used over time to produce consistency in our lives and to train us and to form us. Uh, a couple of our life group leaders um, were involved in the military and, and, and one of them still is. And they talked about their experience in the military and we hear that word discipline in the military quite a bit. And so they pulled in their experience with the military and they talk about when you first go into the military, you are a civilian, but you're broken down. They break you all the way down and then they build you back up and they build you back up with disciplines. Well, the table of the Lord is a discipline, not in a militaristic way. It is a discipline in the way that it forms our lives. It shapes us. It trains us. And one of the things it trains us to do is to be a people who are present, a people who are not distracted, a people who know how to be compassionate, a people who know how to put aside their needs and their desires and to actually give attention to someone else. In this culture that we live in, that is not intuitive. Isn't that right? In this culture that we are in, the ability to actually put aside, to lay down Everything around us, all the distractions around us, internal distractions, external distractions, and to actually give ourselves to someone else and to be fully present to them, that is not intuitive. And so the table of the Lord, if we will submit to it, will shape us to be a people who are present. The second discipline that happens in the table is the discipline of thanksgiving. That the table of the Lord, when we come to God's table, whether that be in a close circle, or we come even to our family table. You know, many of us, when we, before we eat, what do we usually do? We usually say a prayer, and we say a prayer of thanksgiving. And that prayer of thanksgiving, if we will allow it to, trains us to be a grateful people. It trains us to be a humble people. We talked about the fact that in our culture today, there's an idea of entitlement. And a lot of people in the workplace are very, very entitled. And the discipline of the table of the Lord breaks entitlement. It has the potential to break entitlement in us because it teaches us gratitude. It teaches us to submit ourselves to the Lord and recognize every good thing that we have 
has been given to us by God. And that produces humility, it produces receptivity, it produces gratitude in our lives. And that becomes a witness. The third discipline is the discipline of receiving. When we come to the table of the Lord, or when we come to our own tables in our homes, we learn to receive. We learn to give up control. We learn to yield. We learn to surrender. We learn that salvation is not something that we produce in our own works. It is a consistent rhythm that trains us to be people that are surrendered. It is a consistent rhythm that teaches us to hold our hands open. The next discipline that the table of the Lord teaches us is the discipline of mutual submission. Mutual submission. It's interesting, and we're going to look at this scripture here in a couple of minutes. But when Jesus pulled his own disciples together in Luke's account and sat around the table, the Passover meal before Jesus was crucified and resurrected, at that table, his disciples were there And in the intimacy of that gathering, we find that the true inclination, the thing that was going on in the hearts of his disciples began to be exposed. And what we find is that there were guys in his inner circle that were vying and fighting for position. This comes forth at the table in Luke's account. The intimate matters of the heart are disclosed at the table of the Lord. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus addresses them. And he says, guys, listen, there is a new type of leadership. There is a new way by which we understand how to walk in authority. And I'm teaching you how to do that right now here at this table. The way that Christians lead is called mutual submission. My kingdom is not a kingdom that comes like the empire. My kingdom does not look like Rome. My kingdom does not come to conquer. My kingdom is a kingdom that grows and expands by the spirit of mutual submission. And this is why at the table in John 13, Jesus takes off the outer garment, cloaks himself with a towel, grabs a basin of water and washes his disciples' feet. What was he doing there? What was he doing at the table of the Lord? He was teaching his closest followers that you're gonna go into the world and you're gonna lead and you're gonna proclaim and you're gonna expand my kingdom and you're gonna do these things in my name. And the way that I do this is in the spirit of humility and submission. I am leading in a spirit of mutual submission. And we learned that at the table. Think about even the family table. Even at the family table, we learn mutual submission if we will allow that to happen. In life group community, we learn mutual submission. We learn that the entire story is not about us. In mutual submission, we learn that even though we may be going through a wonderful time and we wanna share our wonderful stories with everyone around us, we learn that there are people in our family biological and spiritual, that may not be going through a wonderful time. And we learn to mutually submit and we learn to listen and we learn to pay attention and we learn to extend grace and we learn to walk in compassion and we learn to receive those things as well. The next discipline that happens at the table of the Lord is the discipline of belonging to one another. The discipline of belonging to one another. We didn't spend a ton of time on this last week, but I want to pull out this verse here. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Oh, (laughs) 
when you get a chance. Romans, why don't you go to Romans chapter 12 in your Bibles and we'll look at verses four and five. Guys, I had an awful nightmare of a dream last night. And in my dream, I was preaching and I went to a passage that I knew exactly where it was at, but someone had hijacked my Bible and they put like all these different like footnotes and things in there and the actual scriptures weren't there. And it was just, it was, it was a nightmare. It was awful. Just thought you would like to know that. So in kind of this kind of this OCD thing this morning, I went to all the scriptures. Like, I want to make sure that the scriptures are in here before I get up and I preach and make a fool of myself this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, it says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member, my favorite part, belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. And we learn that at the table. So when we come here today, there are so many dynamics that are happening. One of those dynamics is we are expressing our gratitude to God for what Christ did and bringing us into his family and into his kingdom. We are learning to receive of the life of God. That's gonna be happening today when we come to the table. Uh, we're gonna learn mutual submission in that we're not vying and fighting for, <laughs> you know, my kids. They have this thing about one of them wanting a certain color of a plate. And it is amazing how much division can enter into the Duncan family table over the color of a plate. I want the orange one. And then the other one really didn't care about the orange one until the first one said they wanted the orange one. And then all of a sudden, the second one wants the orange one with as equal intensity of desire as the first one who wanted the orange one. At the table of the Lord, you might think, I could really care, care less. There is this positional thing inside of all of us. And the table of the Lord says, we are all equal as sons and daughters. There is no male, no female, no Greek, no Jew, no, that we are all sons and daughters before the Lord. And it teaches us that mutual submission. Today, when we come, we're gonna learn to give that preferential honor and treatment to one another. But the next thing that happens is, when we grab this bread and we grab this juice, we, we receive it, and we go back to our seats today, it is intuitive. It is intuitive for us to think about us. It is intuitive for us to take inventory of our lives as we should. It is intuitive for us to say, God, uh, what area of my life do you want to touch? Do you want to heal? Do you want to awaken? Do you want to invigorate? Do you want to cleanse? Do you want to forgive? And that is good. However, we must expand that. We must expand our time in the presence of the Lord at his table to say, Lord, what are you doing in my neighbor? Lord, what are you doing in the Snyder household? What are you doing in the Ebels and the Petersons and the Tonkins, God? What are you doing in Michelle? What are you doing in their lives? And I'm, before I receive of this, Lord, I am also going to pray for your grace and your life and your healing and your strength and your deliverance to come to those that I belong to. We belong 
to one another. And the table teaches us that. Final discipline, not the final, but the final for this message, um, is the discipline of practicing forgiveness. This convicted me. This just flat out convicted me. When I realized how many times I have come to God in worship, in prayer, when I have come to the Lord uh, at his table and I have harbored resentment, unforgiveness, when I have harbored judgment, when I have harbored anger against a fellow brother and sister. And the table of the Lord teaches us, remember that you have received mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation. And just as we pray in the Lord's prayer, Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of those against us. As we come to the table, we say, Lord, we forgive. We receive of grace and mercy and life, and we also give mercy and grace and life, and we forgive those who have hurt us and offended us. Today, I wanna take these thoughts a step further, and I wanna talk about these disciplines of the table in the context of what David Fitch calls the three circles. So if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about three circles in our mission. It's just a way to frame and give us perspective on social locations and social functions in the mission of God to bring Christ to the world and to bring the world to Christ. The first is the close, not closed circle. The close circle. Go with me now to Luke chapter 22, the passage that is going to drive most of our morning. This is, the, this is Luke's account of Jesus with his disciples at the table. And we'll begin in verse seven. It says, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. And he replied, as you enter a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters. Let's skip down here at verse 14. So when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me on the table. The hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Now, two quick things. The next thing that happens is they, the disciples begin to argue, 
who's going to be the one that sits at the right and the left hand of Jesus. They begin to argue over that. They begin to argue over the orange plate. They begin to argue over who's really the greatest, who's the best, who does Jesus love the most. The next thing that happens is Peter pipes up, and you gotta love Peter, because Peter's like, Jesus, come here, Jesus. Those guys, listen, I know when it all like shakes down, those guys are all gonna leave you. I know them, Peter. And uh, they're not faithful like I am, Jesus. They're not bold like I am. Jesus, I will straight up take this sword and I will cut fool's ears off for you, Lord, for you, but not them. They're all gonna run. And Jesus, you guys need to loosen up a little bit. My goodness. <laughs> you guys are like, that's not how it happened. <laughs> Jesus speaks to Peter's heart and he speaks to the issue in Peter's life. And he says, Peter, oh, 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 Peter. Oh, little do you know, Peter, that you actually are going to be chief of all that betrays me, you coward. Oh, Jesus, Jesus didn't say that. Jesus wouldn't say that, right? But Jesus essentially tells Peter what's in Peter's heart. Okay, now let's talk about the close circle. What is happening here around the table of the Lord? First of all, we need to see that in these three circles, that Jesus is the host of the close circle. So when we come today, we come without striving or performance because we come at the invitation of Jesus. Jesus is the host of our table today. When we come together as life groups, when we come together as, men's, as a men's prayer ministry, anytime we gather together as a circle of believers around the table of God, we need to recognize Jesus is the one who is hosting us. He is inviting us and he is wanting to make himself known in a very, very dynamic way. Second thing that we need to understand in the close circle is that heart business, intimacy issues happen in the close circle. Just think family table. You know, at the family table, this is where we talk about the difficult things. At the family table, this is where sometimes we have to bring a little correction to our sons or to our daughters. Over the past couple of weeks, I've had the great opportunity to walk a number of couples through premarital counseling. And one of the things that I share with this particular couple is I said, you ought to find a place, create a space and a location where, where you fight it out. Don't allow your fights to travel with you throughout the entire house. You ever, you ever, okay, in my home. Here's how we do things in my home. And it's more, it's more me, not Christy. But I will straight up fall. Where are you going? Huh? No, we ain't done yet. Uh-uh. No. Uh-huh. Like, so, wait, wait, where, you come back here, right? I will follow her up the stairs. She's like folding clothes. I'm like, no, we ain't done yet. Uh-uh. So uh, find a space, a place, a location. Don't allow the spirit of contention to travel with you to every nook and cranny of your house. Say, okay, stop, time out. We're gonna come to the table. We're gonna pause. We're not gonna allow this thing to spill over into the intimacy of our bedroom. We're not gonna allow it to spill over into our children's room. We're gonna come to the table and we're gonna talk like sane people. And we're going to invite Jesus into that moment. And we're going to submit one to another and unto the Lord. What happens at the table is that issues of the heart are addressed. 
when we talked about this with our staff a couple of weeks ago, Dan brought up a phenomenal point. It's interesting here that Jesus identifies Judas. And he didn't call him out by name, but essentially he said, there's one of you guys here and there's something going on on a heart level that has been so offended with me that you've been moved to the point of betrayal. Jesus points that out at the table. The issues of our heart are exposed in the presence of the Lord in the close circle at his table. It is a deeply vulnerable moment. It is a deeply intimate encounter. So we should not think it strange that when we come before the presence of the Lord at his table, that there will be deep levels of Holy Spirit guided introspection that take place. And we should welcome that and partner with that and expect that and say, Jesus, I submit to your Lordship. If you see any wicked thing within me, search me and examine me and see if there be anything in me that offends you or see if there be anything in me that I'm offended by. And Lord, in only the way that you can bring that out and reveal that to me. This past Christmas, I mentioned that we sat down with our staff with a new understanding of how to come to the table. And from the moment that Christy and I have led as senior pastors here, that has been one of the crowning moments of our year to sit down with our team and to reflect over the past year, to, to think with faith into the year to come, to express gratitude. But there was something that was so different this night. I think every single person at the table, spouses included, all at some point shed tears. There was such levels of vulnerability and transparency that we had reached as we learned to tend to the presence of Jesus and tend to one another. People shared their personal struggles in ways that they had never shared before. Compassion and empathy was exchanged like we have never touched before. People were opening up journals, sharing poems, sharing reflections, sharing things that they had reserved for God and for God alone. That happened around a table. That it happened around a television set. That happened around a table. That it happened around just activity. That it happened just around serving together. That happened around the intimacy that is garnered around a close circle in the presence of Jesus. And guys, I'm telling you, we were tenderized, we were encouraged, we were comforted, we were challenged, we were exhorted, we were humbled, we were edified. There were so many things that happened in that close circle around the table of the Lord in the spirit of vulnerability and humility. The next circle or the next social context that David Fitch talks about is what he calls a dotted circle. A dotted circle. What, what is a dotted circle? A dotted circle is a porous circle. It's, it's, it's a circle that has openings in it. One of the ways that we lead our missions teams is we, we inculcate this idea, this mantra even, that says there is always an open chair in this team. So as we go out into the world as a mission team, on a mission, on the Missio Day of God, incarnating the life of Jesus into the environments that we go into, it's very easy just to make everything about your team or your small group or your church or your family. And so in the context of our mission team, we say, guys, listen, there is always an open chair, always. 
This is, this is defined, this has shaped the ethos of how Antioch Global Missions does missions. And I'll never forget the first year that we sent a team out from this place, 13 years ago, we went to Juarez, Mexico, and a team of about 20 plus young people. And for one week, we were ministering in, you know, into the villages and the neighborhoods there in Juarez, Mexico. And there was a young gal that came and she was brought to, to the base and she was brought to the, uh, um, our, our contacts home. And this is what we decided to do. She was not a believer. She was going through an extremely difficult time. And we said, guys, we are going to wrap her up and everything that we do, we're gonna invite her into it. So when we're having meals, she's gonna have meals with us. She slept in the bed of some of the, of the young girls that were on that mission team. When we would go out on outreaches, we would take her with us. When we would do crafts, we would take her with us. And (laughs) that week, because of the dotted circle, because of understanding that there is a unique presence that is formed when the people of God gather together. And when we invite people into that dynamic, there is something powerful that they experience of Jesus. And this young gal, Leticia, gave her life to Jesus that week and it stuck, found herself a uh, husband, believer, has children now, still living for Jesus, still in contact with Christy, and that as a result of the dotted circle approach to Missio Dei incarnation, bringing Christ into the world. What does this look like in our lives? What does this look like in our homes? Well, number one, it looks like you become the host. So in the close circle, Jesus is the host, in the dotted circle, you become the host. And in, that, in you being the host, it means then that you are hosting not only believers in your social space, and that social space could be a restaurant, a coffee shop, or it could be your home, but then it means that over a period of time, you begin to open up the lines and you begin to invite people that do not know Christ into your home, into that small group that gathers at Panera Weekly or into that mops group or into uh, that hiking club that you have. Whatever it is that you are doing strictly with believers, you are allowing yourself to move to a place to where people that don't know Christ are invited into the sanctity of that social space. Now, let's talk real talk. There are some of us who don't want to do that. There's some of us that we have to recognize, we have to realize that's inconvenient, that's uncomfortable. We have to recognize, we have to realize that it's gonna require time. It's gonna require greater energy. It's gonna require us, you know, not being able to just let our hair down. And that's why we hang out with our friends because it's with our friends that we feel safe and we feel comfortable. And I understand that. And that is legitimate. And I empathize with that. And on the other side of that, I have this nagging thing in me called Missio Dei. It says, Jesus came. And he became uncomfortable. And Jesus had times that were set aside just for his disciples. So we're not saying to not ever have time just with the fellowship of the family of God. Because Jesus had that. But what we were saying is that Jesus, in addition to being just with his disciples, he also leveraged what he had with his disciples and he invited other people into that. Let's take a look here at a story. And we'll look at John's account. 
John's account in John chapter six. John 6 verse 1 says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing those who were ill. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples, close circle. The Jewish Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him, so now he's experiencing close circle intimacy and communion, He's experiencing levels of transaction in his heart with those that are closest to him, those that have paid the price, those that are walking in a trustworthy relationship. And now all of a sudden there are quote unquote outsiders that are coming in to infiltrate and encroach upon that close circle time that he has. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke and he said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Let's just stop right here. We're speaking to the issue of resource. We're speaking to the issue of limitation which is a very real thing. But we're also speaking to this misguided idea that we are the source. The misguided idea that says that we have to be the all and all for the people of the world that enter into our dotted circles. We have to provide everything that they need. We have to have all the answers for all of their theological questions. We have to have all the right responses for their issues on on gender issues or politics. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to do that. We don't have enough time. The scarcity of our time is, is so pronounced The resources, you guys are freezing. You guys are cracking me up right now. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Hey, God, we're we're trying to figure out this temperature thing. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dusty. (laughs) People's arms are like going into their jackets. Oh, man. Can't wait to come to the table together. It's so good. (laughs) So Jesus is speaking to resources. Resources. And how many of you guys, if you were really, really honest, would say, there is a part of me that I do not feel like I'm resourced well enough to invite people into my life in the name of God. And that could be time, that could be be money to purchase food, that could be emotional space, that could be theological astuteness, whatever it is. I mean, guys, I'm with you. Listen, I promise you, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I'm like freaking out over my kids playing sports someday. I'm like, my life is so maxed to the edge as it is, and my kids aren't even in sports yet. How am I going to do this? I know I'm going to go away to the country and cut everything out of our lives, and they're never going to play a sport, and we're going to turn into this like really isolated community, <laughs> and we're just going to read classics all the time and chop our own wood and cook our own, raise our own food. And that's what we're gonna, that's the answer. That is totally the answer. And the whole world is gonna slow down and stop, right? I get it. I totally get it, you guys. And somehow when we take the loaves and the fishes, 
when we take what is obviously, are you kidding me? What are you going to do with two pieces of fish and five pieces of bread? You got 5,000 people out there, not counting women and children. And Jesus takes the little of our lives and he breaks them and he blesses them. And he calls us time and resources and emotional and mental and my, my me time and my introvert space. And he just, he breaks it and he multiplies it. And he causes abundance to happen. You know what he does in the dotted circle? He enlarges us. You know what he does in the dotted circle? He multiplies us. You know what he does in the dotted circle? He shows us that we're capable in him of a lot more. In the dotted circle, he reminds us that it's not us that he's looking to, to bring provision to the world. He's just saying, will you partner with me and believe me that in me, I will give you everything you need to touch the world that you invite into your life. That's the dotted circle. I have a idea You know, Resurrection Sunday is right around the corner. After Resurrection Sunday, one of the kind of high gathering watermarks of our gathering, of our house, would probably be our barbecue that happens on the 4th of July every year. Awesome, awesome time. After that, we have Antioch Celebration that takes place in September. And after that, we have, we have Advent and Christmas Eve. Those are kind of these peaks, these peak gathering invitational moments. I personally believe that this understanding of the dotted circle and the table is perhaps one of the greatest evangelistic tools at the disposal of believers that is underutilized in our age today. I have a sneaky suspicion that if we were to go set up a tent, you know, I'm not, I'm not nothing about tents. I'm just saying, if, if we were to go set up and do an outreach in the park, if we were to do a worship in the park, I have a sneaky suspicion that the world would look on that and not be so inclined to come and join that. The revival crusades of the 60s and the 70s for that season worked, but I think in this post-modern, post-Christian era, if we were to say, hey, brother, here's my flyer. I want you to come and join us at our Christian crusade. I just don't think that it would have a lot of traction. That's my personal observation. That's my personal thought on the matter. But if you befriend your coworker, your colleague, your director, your supervisor, your boss, if you befriend your neighbor, if you befriend the parent of the child who goes to the same school as yours, if you befriend the person, the coach of the soccer team, whatever, whatever social space you want to create, and you invite them to a meal, I think the odds of them showing up goes up exponentially, exponentially. And I just have this sneaky suspicion. And if you don't wanna invite them into your home, take them out to a restaurant, but bring them to a table and tend to them and tend to how the Lord is at work in them in that dotted circle and bring other believers along. And I, I promise you, I think over time when this happens consistently, faithfully, in a trustworthy manner of integrity, people's hearts will begin to open. So here's the idea. What if every single one of us, every family, every couple, every individual, what if every single one of us, what if we partnered together? Hey, Matzabas, I'm inviting some friends over. Why don't you guys come over? They don't know Christ. 
man, I just, I love who you are. I think you guys are class acts. You guys are just, just the friendship that we experience. I want other people to join the friendship that we experience. Have them over, man, cook some bomb food, man. Like, make it good. Don't be, don't be, don't be making no grody food, all right? <laughs> Take the pressure off. I'm joking. And just do that over time. And here's my, here's my challenge. Here's my idea that every single one of us do that between now and Easter. And then we just put our feelers out there without any legalistic pressure, and we feel like, hey, if there's an opening, I'm going to invite them to an Easter service. And then from Easter to the 4th of July, invite either the same family or invite another family or invite another person into your home again. So it's dotted circle in your home, and then for the 4th of July, invite them to our barbecue. And then between the 4th of July and Antioch celebration, have somebody else in your home. Or have somebody else at a restaurant. And then invite them to Antioch celebration where it's testimony, it's lively, it's celebratory. And then between September and Christmas, have somebody else in your home. And then invite them to Christmas Eve and Christmas service. That's simple. That's doable. That's strategic. That's faithful presence. That's dotted circle. And guys, I'm, I'm appealing to you in the spirit of Missio Dei, in the spirit of the mission of God that we're participating with, what if every year we just said, I'm going to have people in my house four times a year? That's it. Just four times. Four times once a quarter. Once every three months. In, in God, in the spirit, you're going to say, Lord, I am going to endeavor to have someone who does not know you into my house at my table four times a year. What could happen? What could happen in the kingdom, in our city, in neighborhoods, in people's lives? What kind of marriages could be reconciled? What kind of fray of humanity might we get ourselves into? What kind of healing could take place physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually? Guys, it's one of the things I love about Faithful Presence, that his book is not just kind of theological jargon. It is riddled with real life stories of crack addicts and people that have fallen away from the church and have come back. It is real life stories. And you guys, I think that when we begin doing this, when we choose to walk in faith, when we choose to step out of our boats and invite people in, into the comfort zone of our lives, I just think God's gonna meet us there. And I wanna be about that. And I wanna encourage you guys to be about that as well. All right, last, last circle here. What's the last circle? The last circle is the half circle. And I'll do this in about three to four minutes so that our table attendants can start getting ready. Go with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, if you recall, the half circle is where we go into the world and we sit at the table of someone who does not know Christ that they host. So in the close circle, Jesus is the host and it is comprised of primarily all believers. There is a unique manifestation of the presence of God that comes in the close circle because all of us are aware of his presence and all of us walk in faith and all of us have the spirit of God inside of us. So we're always going to experience the presence of God differently and uniquely in the close circle. And some of us got a little hooked on that. We like that and we don't want to kind of go outside of that. But God wants other people to experience his presence in that same powerful dynamic. In the dotted circle, we become the host, and it is a blend of believers and pre-believers. In the half circle, we go 
as visitors and guests at the table of another. Do you remember when Jesus sent out his disciples? We find this in, in, in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends his disciples out and he says, guys, don't take any tunics with you. Don't take a cloak. Don't take any money. Just take what you have. And then what does he tell them? He says, when you go into a place, enter into that home and pronounce peace to that place. What is he, what is he saying? You are proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom when you go into someone else's environment that is theirs, where they do not know Christ. You are going and you are proclaiming the life, the peace, the presence, the reality of Jesus in that environment. What else does he tell them? He says, eat what is set before you. You know what he's teaching them to do? He's teaching them how to humble themselves before the presence of their host and to receive. I wonder sometimes how well we do at receiving. I wonder how well we do at receiving ideas that we disagree with, whether they be religious or philosophical or theological or political. What would it look like if we as believers got invited into someone else's space and they began to throw antagonistic ideas our way and we felt no pressure to combat every one of those ideas? But by the grace and the peace of God, we could validate their thinking, we could validate their conviction, we could validate their passion, and be patient for an opportunity to arise at some point where enough relational capital is invested that they'll then want to hear our ideas. That happens in the half circle. Let me tell you a really quick story of the half circle. Luke chapter 19, there's a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Verse one says, Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now, if you missed what happened right there, let me just explain very, very quickly. Zacchaeus was a Jew who was working for the Roman government to, ex to extort, he was practicing extortion on his own people. The Jewish people were living under, the, uh, under government rule. And so Zacchaeus defected against his own people, received positional power from the Roman government so that he could harshly collect taxes from his own people. He was hated. He was despised by the Jewish people. But verse, look at verse three. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he had some limitations. But in spite of the limitations that he had, he found a way to still, to, to still see Jesus, even from a distance. And this is what we have to understand. There are Zacchaeuses around us in this city. And Jesus recognizes every small movement that people make to see him. He recognizes it. Jesus is moved by the heart of the person who has a, limit, a limitation, who has a, a liability, who is experiencing opposition and seeing him, and yet, and yet, and yet, they fight through that somehow. Look at what Jesus does, verse four. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to, to see him, and since Jesus was coming that way, verse five, when Jesus reached the spot, 
I mean, he, he is around a throng of people. He is immersed in a crowd and somehow he sees this tiny chief tax collector climb this tree, which by the way, was an embarrassing thing to do. Zacchaeus laid down his pride. Zacchaeus laid down social custom. And he embarrassingly climbed a tree like a little kid so he could just catch a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus is moved by this. And he's like, man, I have got whatever it is that's working in you. I have got to tend to this. I have got to, put, I've got to lean in because God is at work in your life, Zacchaeus. This is amazing. Verse five, Jesus reached the spot and he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately because I must stay at your house today. Jesus, so bold, he invites himself over for dinner. You gotta love the audacity of Jesus. Zacchaeus, I know you're rich and you could probably make some really good meat, so I'm coming to your house tonight. I had nothing to do with it. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. Jesus discerned that. Out of all the people that Jesus could have stayed with that night, Pharisees, Hebraic scholars, people that have been faithfully following the Torah and the law all their lives, this is not to diminish that. This is not to be disparaging of that. This is to reveal to us that Jesus was consciously discerning how God was at work in a person's life. And he inserted himself into that. And Jesus entered into the half circle. Verse seven, all the people saw this and look what they did. They began to mutter, he is the guest of a sinner. He's eating with dirty people. Why in his name would he eat with him? But Zacchaeus stood up and he said, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. There are half circles, I am convinced all around us. There are Zacchaeuses in our city that are waiting for us to see them and to come to the spot and to say, I don't know what it is, but man, I've got to spend some time with you. You may not use this language, but you may say something of the effect, I just see something different working in you. I, you may not know that this is happening, but I, I think that God is working in your life. <gasps> Do you think God will work in my life? I think there was something in Zacchaeus that he he didn't he, he he so disqualified himself. Never in a million years would he think that Jesus would come and he would eat with a tax collector, a traitor. And there are people like that in our cities. And unless you and I go to them, they're gonna live the rest of their lives feeling that God is mad at them, angry at them, judged them, written them off. Guys, I'm here to tell you today, I think that I think there, there there's some there's some trees that we're supposed to go sit at. And those trees may look like bars. 
Those trees may look like restaurants. Those trees may look like dog parks or hiking trails, but there are some trees that are riddled with Zacchaeus's for us to go and find the spot and say, I must come and spend time with you. Guys, let's stand to our feet this morning as we, as we appreciate this close circle this morning of Jesus himself inviting us to come. Inviting us to come and to be present to him. Today, as we come to the table, we come in a spirit of gratitude. And we say thank you. Jesus, for what you have done in the shedding of your blood and the breaking of your life, your body for us. Today we come and we consciously posture ourselves to receive. And we say, give us this day, Jesus, our daily bread. We say, Jesus, every good thing that we have has come from you. We don't need to work for it in a religious sense. We need not to prove ourselves to you We need only to come with open hands and receive of the life that you offer us. Today, we practice the discipline of mutual submission. We recognize and we realize today that we all stand before Jesus and his presence as dearly loved, as precious. Today, we practice the discipline of belonging to one another. And we pray not only for ourselves, but for each other this morning. We practice the discipline of reconciliation and forgiveness. And so here, just for the next minute, if there is someone the Lord brings to your mind that you know that you need to forgive, I want to invite you to do that. If the Lord brings someone to your mind that you know you need to reach out to and reconcile with, I want to invite you to do that. Would you stretch your hand? forward toward the table of the Lord this morning. Father, we thank you for the body of Jesus that was broken for us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are present. We very much acknowledge that the the very real presence of Jesus is here today. We very much acknowledge that you are administering grace by your spirit because of the finished work of the cross and by the victory of the resurrection. And so as we stretch our hands towards this table, we say today, may we experience the presence of Jesus. May we experience and may we encounter the life of your spirit. May we receive grace. May we receive victory. May we receive deliverance. May we receive healing as we receive of you today, Jesus. In Jesus' name, I want to invite you to come and receive. In a posture of receptivity, could we just hold with open hand the body of Jesus? Reading now from Luke chapter 22, verse 19, and he took bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it. Just break this bread in our hand, symbolizing the broken body of Jesus, broken for us, broken to bring healing to us physically, and also broken to bring unity to his body at large. 
He gave it to them and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus, we pull into the now, the sacrifice of your body. We pull that into the now. Jesus, you laid down your life so that we could be one. You laid down your life so that we could be on mission with you, so that we could be your body in the earth, so that we then could incarnate the Spirit of God in close circles, in dotted circles, and half circles. So my prayer today, oh Jesus, is that we would indeed be the body of Jesus. We would be the body of Jesus to our community and our city every day this week, extending peace and grace. Let's receive. same way after the supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you Jesus we receive thank you that your blood heals us thank you that your blood restores us and redeems us we thank you that there are things that have been set in motion in our lives that are being reversed because the power of the blood of Jesus is at work in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, and is at work in our witness. So Jesus, we thank you that we are now on mission with you as a redeemed people to bring redemption to the world. Let's receive of the cup. Would you grab the hand of the person next to you as we are commissioned from this place. Father, we thank you that Antioch Church has been created and established to awaken, equip, and send people to transform cities. Lord, even entire regions, even entire nations, people groups. We thank you for the awakening work of your spirit that was present today. Awakening things in our heart, in our affections. Awakening things, God. Awakening God activity in our minds. God, awakening us to illumination of your spirit and of your word. Father, we thank you for the equipping power of your spirit that has been at work today and will continue with us every day this week, equipping us, causing us to be mindful, showing us how to use the tools that you have given to us. Now, Father God, we are sent here from this place. And I pray the grace of healing and the grace of ministry and the grace of life, the grace of comfort to be upon your people today. Father, we pray that every thought that we have that is not in alignment with your thought would come into agreement with the thoughts of God. Father, we pray that where there's sickness in our body that does not agree with the will of God, Father, we say let our bodies be healed today in the name of Jesus. Where there is broken fellowship and where there is division, we pray the spirit of reconciliation would come to the people of Antioch and that we would take your reconciliation to the world. God, I pray that as we leave this place, 
as we gather in close circles and dotted circles, as we're invited into half circles, I pray that we would incarnate the life and the beauty and the glory of God everywhere we go this week. God, that we would be a witness that as you have, as Jesus, you were sent from the Father, so we are sent by you to make Jesus known into the world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.